Welcome to this week's episode of The Digital Download. I'm Kate Hamer, I run a marketing and digital consultancy, Kate Hamer Limited. I've worked in large brands like Unilever, Disney and L'Oreal for over 15 years and a decade of that I worked in digital. And I know how hard it can be in those sort of companies to keep up to date with the fast moving world of digital and this podcast will hopefully help you by giving you a summary of the past week's news and I also discuss key topics in the industry. Thanks as always to everyone who's downloaded it. Do subscribe, do leave a review, keep sending me feedback. I want this to be your podcast. You can tweet me at LTD, or you can email kate at katehamer.com with any questions, feedback or topics that you would like me to cover. There'll be no podcast next week. So the next podcast will be released on the 31st of October. This week, I'm gonna be talking about the latest digital news, surprise, surprise, including Facebook's Oculus Rift virtual reality demo, the launch of Facebook Workplace, a study that Twitter have done on customer service, Google's new mobile index and then some interesting developments and articles around advertising and I'm going to finish with some thoughts on retargeting. So without further ado let's get cracking starting with social media as always and Facebook. I've embedded a video on the companion page at katehamer.com of Mark Zuckerberg's demo of Oculus Rift which he did as part of his keynote so he had two colleagues on there as avatars they were talking you can play cards on there you can take a real life facetime call and it's your avatar that is showing to the person calling so some really cool stuff that they were demonstrating on there a glimpse of the future perhaps we're all just going to live as cartoon avatars in the future another thing for facebook is they have shut down ads across thailand first time they've ever done it for an entire nation and that's to honour the death of the King of Thailand last week. Thai advertisers still can run ads outside of Thailand, but no ads will show on the platform in Thailand. And they, the country is now in a year-long period of mourning, so it's not clear how long this is going to last with Facebook. Google also adjusted its homepage to have just a black, grey and white colour scheme and the Bangkok Times also tweaked their homepage to make it entirely monochrome. So interesting to see the way digital platforms can respect a time of mourning. Also last week, Facebook announced the launch of Facebook Workplace. So you might have heard Facebook at Work be talked about previously, but the new name for it is Workplace. So their official blog announcement, which again, there's a link to on the companion page said, the workplace is about more than just communicating between desks within the walls of an office. Some people spend their entire workday on the go on their mobile phone. Others spend all day out in the field or on the road. We've been amazed by the breadth of organizations who've embraced workplace. People work in different ways around the world and Workplace's mission is to help them stay connected. So it's very similar to the normal Facebook product. It's obviously got newsfeed, messenger, live video, reactions, search, trending posts, but it's also got an analytics dashboard. Uh, It's got unlimited file, photo and video storage, one-to-one support for administrators. In terms of the way you pay for it, you pay based on 
users and there's different prices depending on how many users you've got so three dollars per user for up to a thousand one dollar per user for ten thousand plus there'll be no ads on the platform because obviously people are paying for the service and they also say they want to get it all right before there was any kind of monetization they also offer a free version for non-profits and educational institutions which is great and they're saying that they've always used Facebook to run their company and obviously now lots of organisations can do it. So they've got uh, a thousand organisations around the world using it at the moment. People have created nearly 100,000 groups. Top five countries using it are India, the US, Norway, UK and France. So there's a link to their whole blog post about how it works. But, you know, some of the examples of things they're giving are being able to watch a CEO presentation on Facebook Live, that sort of thing. So really using tools that people are used to using in their personal lives from a work perspective. And they're also partnering with companies as part of the workplace partner program. So people like Deloitte so that they can do training and roll the product out to a wider range of people on instagram nothing new this week but just uh, an article i read around stories that was saying in two months after they launched stories they have a hundred million daily active users so that's around half the total daily active users of twitter and three times more than pokemon go I'm not sure if that really means anything now. It looks like the Pokemon Go craze has sunk without a trace. But it also obviously hasn't really impacted on Snapchat because their core demographic is 16 to 25 and people using Instagram stories tend to be more over 25. So it looks like everybody is fine on that launch. In terms of Twitter, a few things. Again, on the companion page, I've embedded a great example of a Twitter moment that is done with GIFs. So it's like an animated Twitter moment. So have a look at that. Just quite a sweet little story about a boy flying a paper aeroplane. For Periscope, there is a new development coming. I can't see it on my app at the moment, but it's coming so that when you go to edit your profile, where you've got the option to switch your Vine profile on, there'll also be an option to switch your Periscope profile on, which means that you won't need to put your Periscope link in your web address area in your bio anymore, so you can use that for something else. And it also then will show a Periscope icon on your account and that icon will flash when you're streaming in real time so that people will know that you're live on Periscope. So have a look for that. Like I say, I'm imagining it'll come in an app update because it's not on mine at the moment. And then Twitter have done a study on customer service with applied marketing science. And they found that businesses create a massive opportunity for themselves when they acknowledge customer service related tweets from consumers. So they've looked at things like price elasticity, where they found that customers of a national pizza delivery who received customer service on Twitter were willing to spend as much as 20% more and telecom consumers were willing to spend 10% more, so $8.35 per transaction. There's an image on the companion page to show more stats on there. Also, customer, customers who received a response to a customer service related tweet were 44% more likely to share their experience and 30% more likely to recommend the brand in question. Speed is really important. So the faster a company responds to a customer service tweet, the greater the value of the response. 
So one example was airlines, where if they responded in under six minutes, they could increase future customer spend per transaction by nearly $20. And if they responded more than an hour later, it produced an increase of just $2.33. And same with telecoms, responding in under four minutes can boost future phone plan revenue by just over $17. But more than 20 minutes later, you only increase spend by $4. So the KLM situation I had the other day where they responded after 10 days, clearly it shows an inverse in spend because I'm not inclined to purchase anything from them. So they Twitter have also quoted an aspect research study that found Twitter to be the least frustrating customer service channel compared to phone, web, email and in person. And McKinsey research also says that social customer service interactions cost a sixth of customer service interactions in call centers. Obviously, that's all good, but really you do need to make sure that you've got a multi-channel approach to customer service because some people are still going to be phoning you or writing to you or emailing you. So you can't necessarily put it all through Twitter, but it's good um, to be aware of Twitter and to be geared up to respond to customer service questions there as well. Twitter seemed to be testing some developments to its app. So last week, some people started to see the Moments tab being replaced with a feature called Explore. So it's all about content discovery and this Explore tab, which is shown in the iOS and Android apps for certain people, shows trending topics and search as well as Moments. So it brings everything together. It's not clear if they're going to do it as a permanent change or if they're just testing it. They do sometimes just test things with small audiences. But obviously, if that becomes a new tab, they could also highlight things like their live video streams and Periscope video within it. And it's a much easier way for people to find more relevant content to them. Twitter has clarified the company mission and focus now revolves around live events and live commentary so that would make complete sense in terms of the way that they create that explore tab i don't have it on my phone i'm obviously not one of the people they're testing it with but again look out for that and just finally on twitter in terms of the sale rumors that were going around salesforce last week said that they've walked away it wasn't the right fit for them so twitter's still looking for other bidders but it's looking like a near buy sale might not happen there's a rumor that offline viewing is coming to netflix which could be an interesting string to their bow so obviously if people want to binge watch a series on a flight or when they're abroad they'd be able to do that the rumor that i read was saying they wouldn't be surprised if it was just for netflix originals but that does include series like Narcos and Stranger Things, so maybe that would be okay. And obviously it would be a big blow in the fight against piracy because one of the reasons people consume illegal content is because they want it available whenever and wherever they are. So this could be an interesting way to stop that by letting people download to their devices to watch offline. I've talked about chatbots a few times on the podcast in recent weeks. I saw an interesting one from Kick, which is a messaging service where they've created a murder mystery bot. So you can get a group of friends together and play a murder mystery game. So once you're invited, the bot assigns each person in the group a character and then tasks each of you with figuring out who the murderer is before he or she murders you. 
a new use of messenger bots. So if you've got Kick, have a look at that. Tinder are developing a new feature called Smart Photos, which does sound rather cool, actually. It also shows how much data Tinder have got and what they can be learning, which could make them a more interesting proposition as a company in the future. So Smart Photos, you just toggle it on in the profile section of the app, and then when it's on, Tinder is continuously testing your various profile photos to determine which is most popular, and then it will serve that photo up as the first one in your deck. So it's got an algorithm taking into account overall popularity of your photo, but it also accounts for the swiping patterns of people looking at your profile. So if you've got um, three different profile pictures, uh, one normal selfie, one of you skydiving and one of you with a dog, for example, and the picture of you and the one with the dog gets the most overall right swipes than any other picture, it will be served up as your first picture. But if your profile's about to be served to someone who normally swipes left on dogs, then Tinder will reorder your photos to show either the selfie or the skydiving picture to that person. We obviously knew that Tinder was getting information like your gender, age, location, bio, your Instagram data if you were pulling that in, but it's never really disclosed how much it's paying attention to what individual users are swiping right and left on within an image. They always have just said that the most successful photos are the ones where you're being yourself. They've been doing this testing and Tinder have found that people who've got smart photos on saw up to 12% increase in matches. But obviously, if they're also finding this data, it could be used for the way that they target advertising because the Tinder Plus product where people don't pay to use the app, but they see ads, um, this information could be really attractive for advertisers to understand what people are interested in. So a whole new world of Tinder potentially there. On to Google, so Alphabet, Google's parent company, has acquired a company called Famebit, which is a technology platform company that matches creators and brands together for sponsorships and paid promotions. So with Google's help, obviously, they'll be able to increase branded content opportunities available and bring more revenue to their influencers. In the Famebit blog, they've said that they'll continue to work just like they always have and remain a standalone operation for now, but they're excited to continue helping brands and creators succeed in an even bigger way. A new opportunity there for brands. There is a service uh, called Niche that is owned by Twitter as well in the UK where you can put all of your profiles in and they will look to match you with brand opportunities. So worth checking that out as well as Famebit. Also this week, there's been an announcement that Google's going to create a separate mobile index within months. So that will then be the main or primary index that search engines use to respond to queries. A separate desktop index will be maintained, but they're saying it won't be as up-to-date as the mobile one, although we don't know how out-of-date it's going to be. And we're not entirely sure how the mobile index will work in terms of whether it's going to be looking at only mobile-friendly content or what. But within the coming months, that will be launched. Obviously, searches on mobile massively outstrip searches on desktop in the UK and also in the USA and Japan. So it makes sense that they would have a mobile index. 
I read an interesting article about exterior media this week and the way that they're really going to push TFL and all the different out-of-home advertising options within TFL as a platform from a media perspective that's going to rival the likes of ITV and Facebook. They believe that the public body could generate 3.4 billion in commercial revenue by 2023. Basically, it's all going to be based around data. So they get 25 million O2 customers data and also data in terms of the contactless card data at tube station turnstiles various other pieces that will all be put together so that advertisers can create a profile of the audience type they want to reach and then Experian's audience behavioral insights or abi tool will use that to identify that group across tfl's network so you can distill down to different stations that would be most relevant to target your target audience there's also going to be options to do programmatic advertising in that way I've put a link to the whole article so that you can read more about it. But again, very interesting to be looking at digital in an offline context in a way um, and makes sense as more places are using data, you know, all the kind of contactless and oyster data that's going through the TFL absolutely makes sense that you'd be able to target the right sort of audience. Leading on from that, there was a great article, another digital sense piece by Jerry Dakin this week, where he was talking about the way you'd think about video in an outdoor sense, in terms of you wouldn't have volume on it, you'd need to grab people's attention quickly, you would never put your entire TV advert on an outdoor screen silent because obviously that wouldn't make sense, but yet people do think in that way for Facebook. So that was quite a good analogy in terms of if you're thinking about your video advertising on Facebook, think about it in the same sort of context as you would if you were doing outdoor Again, there's a link to that article on the companion page. A few things from brands. I noticed that 20th Century Fox this week were promoting their Trolls Snapchat filters on Twitter. That ad is embedded on the companion page if you want to look. But again, good to be using different social platforms to kind of cross-promote things that you've got running on the others. You don't need to just stick within the individual platforms. I also read a piece this week about McDonald's and their YouTube channel. So 12 months ago, they set up this channel called Channel Us, which was presented by a couple of YouTube stars, Ollie White and Gabriella Lindley. And it was focusing on how-to videos, such as how to become a music video director, how to dance, etc. And it was meant to be targeting these infamous millennials. But having posted nine films in 2016, none of them have hit 1,000 views. So McDonald's have cut their losses and stopped the channel. And they're saying they've learned a lot about what works and what doesn't, and they'll be applying that to their content moving forward. The other thing that they're looking at is how they can use customer data more to create value for people that will share their information. So they've got an app, but what they're saying is why would anybody want to give them data just to understand where a store is or when it opens, whereas if they offered a service like Click and Collect, 
then that would make a lot more sense for someone to want to give data. So they're looking at those kind of options. On the content though, they're saying that they've learned that content is really difficult and content with purpose is really important. Like a lot of brands, it's a challenge for us and we're looking at a lot of different ways we can pull people towards our brand to build affinity with other audiences. It's an inherent challenge in terms of making content that people want to see, but also says something about you as a brand. Which leads me on to a great piece by The Ad Contrarian. I don't know if you follow The Ad Contrarian on Twitter. Uh, he wrote a book, Marketers Are From Mars and Customers Are From New Jersey, I think is the title of it. Very interesting in terms of the way that brands talk about content and what it actually means to consumers. So there was a, a marketing analytics firm called Beckon did some statistics last week about content. So 19 out of 20 pieces of content, so that's 95%, get little to no engagement. Because of the amount of time, energy and man hours it takes to produce this stuff, non-working dollars in terms of the cost of production among Beckon's clients, so Coke, Gap, Microsoft, HP, Reebok, Converse, etc. was up 50% last year. 90% of engagement is lavished on 5% of content, most likely content that brands have actually spent a lot of advertising dollars on to make a success in the first place. Like social media marketing, content marketing is founded on the delusion that consumers are in love with brands and want to join the conversation about brands and hear branded storytelling. Not in this lifetime, is his quote. So it's true. I was talking about it earlier this week on a Google Squared lecture that I was doing that everyone bandies about this term content but really it's communication and we should be looking at the best way to communicate our messages in a way that are going to attract people's attention. But creating content for content's sake is not necessarily the right thing to do. Argos did a great piece of app update copy this week. I've put a screenshot of it on the companion page. But I don't know if anybody else is sad like me, but whenever I do app updates on my phone, I always have a look at the what's new copy and it annoys me when people just put like bug fixes or whatever. But this is Argos's update. We've been putting our heads together at Sainsbury's Argos to work out what amazing things we could offer now we've joined forces. After knocking around the idea of combining powers in a Power Rangers-esque mega retail Zord, think supermarket with Argos arms and habitat legs, we decided to put the Sharpies down and keep it simple. Right, it's dead easy. Use the Argos app have a good old shop, order some stuff that will move from a big Argos store, send it to a Sainos near you, and then later you can collect your order in a small Argos that's inside a big Sainsbury's. It's kind of like the first level of Inception, just with less Leo DiCaprio and more Capri Sun, less Tom Hardy, more Hardy's wine, less Joseph Gordon-Levitt, more, more, well you get the idea. And I just think that's really cool to just write in a chatty style for your app updates. So well done, Argos. I also liked an advert that I saw for Sprite this week, which LeBron James shared on his own Facebook. So it's an ad with him in. Um, but the way that he shared it on his Facebook, he talked about Sprite rolled with me since day one and that it was a pleasure to do the ad. So again, I will, uh, I've embedded that on the companion page. Have a look at it. Virgin America have done a bit of tactical stuff to highlight the features of its first class flights by making one pair of sneakers that replicates the features often on their first class flights. So it's got uh, mood lighting, Italian white leather, Wi-Fi, a phone charger, a tiny screen. And they're selling these trainers on eBay with the proceeds 
going to charity but their chief creative officer at their agency said that virgin america flyers are fashionable sophisticated and almost impossible to reach with traditional advertising but we knew sneaker trends were very popular with our target audience so we'll see how that works out for them a little bit wacky but it's obviously got them a lot of pr just from marketing uh magazines talking about it so i've embedded the video that they've done for that on the companion page as well also saw an interesting interview with keith weed the cmo of unilever this week talking about marketeers so he says uh that a generation of marketeers leading businesses today are bluffing about their knowledge of the digital landscape it was at the Festival of Marketing where he argued that a generation of marketers are slipping through the net and need to act fast to tool up for the disruptive digital world or risk being left behind. He said there are three versions of people. On one side, we have the digital natives who've been born and bred in a digital world. On the other side, we have people like myself in my 50s who have children in their 20s. And if I didn't engage with them on digital platforms, I wouldn't have a relationship with my children. In the middle, we have what I call the lost generation, people in their late 30s and early 40s who don't yet have grown up children who are digital natives and weren't digital natives themselves. These are the very people who are leading so many of our brands and businesses and they're bluffing too much about digital from what they read in the Financial Times or Marketing Week. So he's urging people to embrace training and shake off the association that taking part in training is admitting I'm not as good as I probably should be. So I wholeheartedly agree with him on that. I think there's definitely people who sort of worry that if they admit they don't know stuff, they are going to look bad. So he is doing lots of training with Unilever. They've expanded the training budget and number of days that they can train for. And he's also saying that rather than digital marketing, it's about marketing in a digital world, which is why he's never appointed a chief digital officer. He makes another really valid point. He says, to me, it comes down to the same issue as CSR. If those people are out there saving the planet, then the rest of us can carry on business as usual. It means they're doing digital, so the rest of us don't have to. It's their job. We need to mainstream it more and never put digital or data into someone's job title as that's the surest way to get them headhunted. So I was just going to finish this week with a few thoughts on retargeting. There's a wealth of data available to us now with all these different digital channels and it's obviously super valuable both to brands and to their customers if you can get the right sort of experience for your customers. But data is nothing without being turned into insight and I'm really passionate about the fact that humans have to be involved in that so amazon i always used to hold up as being you know at the forefront of targeted recommendations i thought they were excellent with their recommendation engines when the site first launched but i really think they've lost their way recently and it feels like they've become a bit lazy and left the algorithm and engine running without anybody really watching it anymore so i don't know if any of you have noticed the same but in the last few weeks i've looked at several paper shredders webcams and colored dot stickers i've bought a version of all three of those things and yet i'm still being emailed and targeted with display ads for versions that i looked at and chose not to get so surely amazon can see that i bought a shredder I don't know how many documents it thinks that I have to get rid of. I'm a consultant, not a politician. So I don't get it. I looked at two versions of the same brand of a Logitech webcam, bought one, and I'm now being emailed to buy the one that I discounted and didn't get. If you're doing retargeting, really think about the products that are compatible with what your customers just bought rather than 
products in the same vein, which is what I'm being targeted with at the moment. Also think about timing. So last weekend I was looking at men's shirts on ASOS for a client photo shoot. I was looking on my Mac and within seconds they were following me around on Facebook on my iPhone. I felt like that was too soon. Maybe ASOS's data says strike while the iron's hot and if someone's just looked at it, then start showing it to them everywhere. But surely with the amount of data that Facebook has, they'd be able to know that I am a girl. So why use the strap line, we know, right? It's like these were made for you, which was what was on the retargeting of ASOS. So I just think if anything is going to highlight to consumers the amount of data being collected about them and then make them backlash against it being used, it's this sort of rubbish retargeting. So I think it's our responsibility as marketeers to really think about how we use this data and how we retarget and not just, oh, well, when you do this, 50% convert, therefore do it we still should be thinking about what's it going to make people feel about the brand and how could it affect your brand reputation because the marketers that don't do it right could end up spoiling it for everyone. So that is my final thought for this week's podcast. Thanks for listening. I hope you found it useful. Remember, no podcast next week. So the next one will be the 31st of October. Do still send me any feedback or questions on Twitter at KateHamerLTD or by emailing kate at katehamer.com. Have a great one.